Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cash That. This is your host, Joe Delera. I am joined by Brandon Anderson once again here. We are doing a little bit of a series here. It's been a weird time with the NBA, so it's kind of nice to be able to talk about some of the nitty-gritty things that matter, but they're not like the most pressing, right? So I, I'm very happy to have Brandon here. We're going to talk about free agency, a little bit of summer league, and some contract talk here today. Brandon, how you doing? I am doing well. And if we're going to talk about things that matter, but don't really matter that we just want to talk about, I'm the king of all the stuff that we just said. So I'm here for it. Let's talk about stuff that we just want to talk about. No, it's literally perfect. There's also just so much stuff, right? Like in the little nuances. And it's like when we throw out like different trades or you say like, oh, like how can this guy make it there? And then just like, you know what? Like it actually doesn't work yet or like it doesn't work that way or like this team literally can't trade for this guy. And I think that it really does start to narrow some of the things. So obviously, you know, like one of the big pieces now is like is summer league and that's kind of given like everybody something to think about, something to watch. Right. But when summer league ends, we're going to be in that little bit of a dead zone until preseason camp, like whatever. What are you most excited about? Or do you have any quick summer league thoughts before we start talking about some of this money? Quick summer league thoughts. Is that a thing that I can do? (laughs) (laughs) Are you betting anybody right now? I guess is the question. That's a good question. Yeah. Well, we'll get into like when we do our part two of the series and get into like some of the, the bigger picture and the hope rankings that we'll get to, it kind of gets more to the the bets I'm doing. And I'm still kind of halfway through on that. That's why uh, listeners were recording only half of this today because I I stayed (laughs) up till three last night getting ready for this. Cause what else would I do on a night in July? Yeah. I know it's, it's, it was just was exciting to see like the guys at the top of the draft. We wanted to see the Thompson twins because we hadn't seen them play actual basketball. Um, <laughs> yeah, we got we got one game of Amen. He looked awesome. He looked he so did. good. Like the thing with with these rookies, especially, you don't want to focus on the shooting numbers. You want to focus on really any of the numbers. You want to see the flashes. You want to see like, do they belong or do they not belong? Like sometimes that can matter as much. Amen belongs like the athleticism pops. He's flying past dudes. He played the game against Scoot. Scoot was incredible. Scoot looked every bit as good and better really than I hoped that he would be. Asar Thompson has also really been impressive to me. Less flash, but just like you can just see both of those Thompson twins, the the feel for the game, like they just, they got it. And I ended up ranking them very conservatively on my draft board. I think like ninth and 11th overall, just cause I was like, uh, I just haven't Fair. seen enough in real play and I'm willing to miss on these guys. And I usually I'll do like a, a re-rank. And I think I had a man third, uh, like in the, in a possible scoot tier or next after him, just because I didn't love a lot of the upside swings mm-hmm. and I moved him way down. He's the one I had lower. I had him 11th below a yeah. I think he's probably back to third. Now they even from <laughs> one game, which is crazy. But just like to see it in an actual context of like that game, the the Rockets uh, Blazers game was like basically an NBA game. Like we're only missing like three dudes from the actual rosters in that game (laughs) other than all the Rockets free agents we'll talk about. So, so yeah, it it was fun to see those guys. Brandon Miller struggled early, has been better, still hasn't super popped. Like I think Miller versus Scoot is already looking like a pretty awful decision that yeah. we kind of thought already 
Wemby struggled for game one with all the cameras, did fine game two. Like everybody, apparently everyone's too good for summer league. Like, uh, like you got your Jersey on, like if you played, I think like you'd put up like 24 and 10 and be like, ah, Joe Dallaire too good for summer league. Put put him in bubble wrap. Get him ready for the season. Like we're out of here. Like Dude, I nobody can, box out can play Kenny summer Lofton. league. Everyone is too good now for summer league. I guess. Yeah, it's it's definitely a weird thing. Uh, we'll talk about it more and like some of the implications of how these rookies are playing, how these guys are playing a bit in the second segment uh, that we're doing together. But just figured I'd tease it a little bit there before <laughs> we get into like the nitty gritty of the cap um, with the the salary cap right so there's the new cba that was like a million million pages long brandon has actually been using it as a pillow to try to absorb it through osmosis (laughs) but um the cap to put it plainly the cap is increasing dramatically right 10 percent raises per year for a while roughly right so you know two years ago we were at 112 uh was it 112 million now it's 136 and then they have all these aprons what do we think about this? Like the money is bonkers. Yeah. It used to be like the vet minimum was a lot less. And then now all of a sudden it's like 12 million or like, no, no not the, not the vet minimum, the mid level rather yeah. was, is now all of a sudden like 12 million, 13 million. What are your thoughts on the exponential growth of the cap and how it's going to impact the teams? Yeah. So with a new CBA, it can only raise 10% at once. So we don't know. Everything is projection right now. But where everyone's expecting the monster TV deal to come in over the next couple of years, and then there to be this huge, huge cap increase. And because of the Kevin Durant Warriors thing from a while back, they now introduced what they call cap smoothing, which is, hey, rather than the cap going up from 136 million to 190 million overnight, and oh my God, every team has yeah. $50 million in space. Timothy oh, look, the Warriors Moscow. have room for Kevin Durant now. Like yeah. that didn't go well for anybody for it. No. Well, it went well for the Warriors. Went went poorly for everyone else. And honestly, for Kevin Durant's reputation, which, hey, Kevin, you're probably listening to this. So, hey, thanks for listening. I hope you're listening to this. If you want to be a guest, please come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely come on to Joe's. I probably won't give you. I'll give you too much crap. You come on buckets and talk to me. <laughs> so I, I think, though, to me, I want to start with the numbers here just because it's important like to look at the numbers. So like you said, two years ago, it was 112. It wasn't too long before that. We cracked 100 for the first time. 100 was nice because like a lot of these salary slots, the max salaries, everything is by percentage of the team's cap. Well, $100 million, super easy to figure out the percentage is just like move the decimal a couple spots and then you get the salary. But when we're looking at 100 and we're used to seeing like for I got used to around that range, what an average starting salary would be like 15 million. So if you were just kind of like an average starter, let's call that like the Tobias Harris, Andrew Wiggins range of forwards is a good example. Then, and these guys didn't make that, they made huge money, but those guys were worth about $15 million. Like that's kind of when you were a free agent, especially that's what you were getting. Well, the reason this matters is because that 15 is now more like 18 or $20 million. And three years from now, when you keep going 10% up each year, like we expect, Now it's $25 million. And why does that matter? Because a contract for a guy like Kyle Kuzma, we'll get to where you get like a four for 80, four for 90 deal. And you're like, oh my gosh, what? We're paying this dude, what? Like 20, $22 million. That number matters because it's changing so much. And an average starter that used to be 15, you know, as recently a couple of years ago, 15 million now is worth 25 million. A backup where... 
if you're not a minimum guy and you were paying a backup like that, that, you know, the mid-level, the, the 8 million, the 9 million, 10 million range, well, that's now like 12 to 15. Now you're back to where we were at starter money pretty soon, even 20. So some of these guys that, you know, the Max Struess and the Isaiah Stewart's of the world where I'm like, oh, I didn't even want to give these guys any money. And all of a sudden they're making like 64 million. Yeah. And the sticker shock is huge. And on the other end too, the, the Damian Lillard's of the world and the max contracts. And we get like the rookie deals come out five years, 200 plus million. And oh my gosh, Damian Lillard's going to be making $60 million. That's terrible. Well, it's probably not great because he's going to get older worse. for that year. Yeah, it's right. Get worse. <laughs> right. But like, like a, an average max player is now probably about $50 million player. Like that's yeah. about 36% of the cap. So even like comparatively, if you could pay fairly and you can't, because that's what the max contracts are, Nikola Jokic or Giannis or Embiid, like one of the guys at the top of the league, their value to a team is like at least 65, 70, 75 million. Like, yeah, probably if you could probably more like a hundred million. So like contracts matter because you only have so much room. That's why the stuff is interesting because I'm all about team building. You only have so much contract space to put all your guys together. This matters. The, the, the dollars had to start at the top because it, we need the context. And even though I'm the numbers guy and I've been, you know, sleeping on the CBA and all of that, even I would react to these deals that, you know, like the Struce deal and the Stewart and like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, what is this deal? And then I kind of pull back and like, I still don't love it. I still don't want to pay these guys that amount, but like to, to have a guy that even is like a, a sixth man or an eighth man and pay them like 10 million a year, 12 million. It used to be that that was like a super onerous contract and it was eating up this huge chunk of space, but in a few years, $180 million cap. And then like soon after that, 200 million. All right. Well, that's, that's now like a, a four or $5 million deal compared to what we're used to recently. So it's, yeah, the context matters because you need to, you need the numbers to not give you just the sticker shock. Like it's easy to just see a huge number and automatically be like, Oh, this deal sucks. And, and look, some of the deals suck. <laughs> we're going to tell no, you some do, of the deals but, suck, but yeah, yeah just, even a simple thing that I, that I did here is assuming 10% raises every deal right now that you sign for $3 million three years from now is worth $4 million. That's yeah. how quickly the 10% increases go. So like any long-term deal you sign right now, the longer it goes, the less dangerous it can be from a dollar standpoint, because the rules limit how quickly you can go up per year. And it's not as high as the 10% that the cap is going to go up. And so like, yeah the long salary is eating less and less of your cap the further it goes out, especially like on a rookie extension where you're still getting the rookie year right now before the extension even starts. And so you're getting like an even smaller piece of the pie later on. So just yeah. to kind of set the table for a lot of the stuff we're going to do on these contracts. No. And I think that one of the things that's interesting, right. And there's a level of nuance to it as well is now under the new CBA, I think it starts, I think it starts this year. If not, it starts next year. You can only go into the season with le- with less than ten percent of sal- of your salary, like to hit the floor, not spent, which is super right. significant. Because like last year, for example, like Oklahoma City did that. They just took on like these contracts, and they're just like, well, yeah, like fuck it, like we'll take that contract in the middle of the season, or like we'll do this, we'll do that. We're gonna go into the season with all this cap space, and like 
suddenly you're in a position where you can basically buy bad contracts off of teams so then they can go and get somebody else. Now that's not really happening. Now you need to have like a player that you can actually do something with that's successful, that's useful. So I think some of these bad teams, quote unquote, bad teams with a lot of salary cap space, you're going to see these like big deals where they're going to sign somebody, the, the contracts are going to be like, what on earth is that contract? But it works because they're, it's a tradable asset. Maybe it's on a shorter deal um, or like it's a non-guaranteed second year or yeah. something like that. And then it, it's a tradable asset because you're going to trade them to a team that's a contender that maybe does have that type of like onerous contract. And you're going to be able to get draft compensation back, like whatever. And I think that kind of leads you to some of these deals like the Bruce Brown deal, right? So Bruce Brown just got an insane amount of money. And people kept saying like, oh, Denver's going to keep him. Like he wants to stay in Denver, yada, yada, yada. Bruce Brown has literally made like $12 million in his career. And like the amount that he's going to be able to make is what? It's like $22 million this year. Like it's, it's insane. It's so much money. Like you can't leave that on the table. But there are some hidden details in that contract, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So, I mean, that's realize like when the Woj and, and Shams tweets come out, they're always going to report the most favorable deal. Like they're going to make it look as good as they can for the player. Like that's the deal. Where are they getting their leads from? Where are they getting their news from the player agent and the player agent who now apparently has to be named in every one of these tweets. That's a thing oh, that yeah. we're just doing now, but the agent wants the player to look as good as possible. So Bruce Brown, according to whoever reported it, got a two-year deal, $45 million. So here's what that deal really is. It's a one-year deal for $22 million with a team option for $23 million. They ain't going to be paying that $23 million. They're not picking up that team option. Bruce Brown is not worth $22 or $23 million, but Indiana, like you're a small market team, you got to pay the tax. You got to pay a little extra to get the free agent. Denver literally, by the rules, could not match. They did not choose not to. They could not give him anywhere near that much money. Yeah. But- the sticker shock of 45 million Bruce Brown. Oh my gosh. I just saw him in the finals. What 45 million again, it's really one year, 22 million. And the thing you're saying one year, well, Indiana has spent money somewhere anyway. Indiana had to use some of that money on somebody so they can kind of do this balloon payment. And now they have his rights for next year. Now, probably what that turns into is after this year, the team says, we're not going to take on that 23 million next year. What if we give you 35 million for three years? And yeah. now you're still getting a huge chunk of money. You still got the 22 up front. And there's just kind of this long-term understanding there. And, you know, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he goes yeah. back to a Denver or someone else now that he got the big payment. But that, that's, that's kind of was an easy example of talking through some of, here's what we saw. Here's the thing that came out on the tweet. And let's be honest, I reacted. You reacted. Yeah. Like, we all want to react on June 30th on the July one, like, oh, the moratorium is out. Let's react to all the deals. Now the, you know, spot track, I think is how you say it. And Keith Smith is awesome at this stuff. They hooked me up. Let me kind of use their database there. So many good details and all this stuff. And as these, infer- as the contract details leak out, you're like, oh, I see. Okay. Well, that really wasn't as awful as a contract. That actually is pretty exactly. team friendly or that, you know, like it, look, all contracts should be player friendly. We want these guys to get their money, but also I I want to see teams be good. I, so I'm going to always look at it from a team perspective. Like players, get your money. Great. Happy for you to get paid. Yeah. But 
there are rules. You can only sign so many guys for so many dollars. So my perspective will always be team friendly. So I kind of just went through and, and, and made like my list of, so here are some big takeaways. So the Bruce Brown was one example. So first takeaway, those max rookie extensions that we saw give out. We saw your boy, Tyrese Halliburton. Major they got paid. Got a big contract. And we don't even know how much the contract is yet because right now it's being reported five years, $206 million. But if you think of the tweets, that would say something like or as much as $252 million or something mm-hmm. in that range. Well, that's the rules rule, which is if Tyrese Halliburton, and I think this is a real threat, if he makes all NBA before the end of this season, like so this next all NBA, then he's eligible to get that bump. And most of these guys are getting that into written into their contract now. So Halliburton suddenly is getting like a five year, you know, 250 million or something. And I guess like if you're Indiana though, like you're looking at that deal and you're like, this is the best thing that we could have asked for trading yes. for him. Like, w- like Sabonis, what they were doing with Sabonis and Turner just like wasn't really working. Like you, tr- you traded that asset for a younger asset, a point guard that you needed. And like, it's, it's looking like a great deal really for both franchises. Now, like both teams just locked up their guys on extensions. This is a good deal for them. And I think it ties into like what you're doing with these other guys, like Bruce Brown, right? Like you have this young core, And you have these like younger budding stars and you're like, all right, well, like let's sign these guys. Like even if you have to overpay them a little bit, let's see who fits. Like, let's see who pairs well with this guy. And then you're not going to have those deals where like previously we had, there was a point where there were seven year contracts in the NBA. Like those don't exist now. Right. So like you can get close with the way extensions are and like when guys are extension eligible, but like players were signing like legit seven year contracts. And then there were just albatrosses on their salary cap. You don't have that now. It's not really the same thing. I think Halliburton was well worth this spend. And, you know, some of the other guys too. And I think like in declining order, right? It's (laughs) Desmond Bain, Anthony Edwards, and then LaMelo Ball. But like LaMelo is super popular. He's super trendy. Like he's bringing in other revenue for you, regardless of like the basketball. Um, what do you think about these deals? Like, do you love them? Do you hate them? I think they are all, they all seem pretty good for these teams and for these players. Yeah, I love all of them, including like all the guys you said, right on down the line, Bain and LaMelo. Bain actually ended up taking a little bit less than the max, just a yeah. little, just to save the team a little bit. And so he's not eligible, I think, then for the Rose rule. He's locked into his dollars now. A little bit better, the thing, yeah. Yeah, the thing is on these, like you just said, guys aren't getting those seven-year deals. Well, the guys who were getting those were like the Kevin Garnett's of the world who were already hit their prime, already at peak value, and you're doing the thing where you're paying for past production in the future. This is the opposite. These young guys, if you get a young guy that is, you know, on heading into year four of his rookie deal. If he looks good and you want to keep him, you pay, you just pay. And this is the best thing that can happen to you. Like immediately Tyrese Halliburton, we're going to do on the next podcast, we're going to do best contracts in the NBA. I exclude from that list max deals because otherwise Tyrese Halliburton, his new deal would make him like a top 10 contract in the NBA because you get number one, you still get this year. You still get the year right now of him for like three or four million dollars when so, he should be like a forty million dollar player right now. Like legitimately, that's not that that's the number that he should good. be worth yeah. right now. And so, like for Lamelo, here's the here's the numbers on it. Because I basically what I do when I rank these contracts and think about it is I I've done all the work 
And I've literally said, okay, what's your fair market value? Not even, "Ah, I don't really like you. Just like, here's where you kind of rank in the NBA. Here's what that should be getting paid right now. Lamelo's good. Lamelo is not as good as Halliburton yet or Bain. He improved a ton on threes this year. I think he's getting a little underrated. Even if you don't love him, he still, to me, is like a $30 million player this year. He's only making 11 because he's still on his rookie deal. Then you get five years, 206 million. You all together, you're getting a six-year deal out of him. I value LaMelo on my contract. I make him worth six years, 265 million. He's right now from the team getting six years, $216 million. So even on LaMelo, who is much worse than Halliburton, you're getting, I call it marginal value. Like how much better or worse is the contract from what your fair market should be? The the Hornets are getting $50 million potentially of positive contract value because they literally can't pay him more. This is the rule that that's the most thing give him. But the key thing here is you want the six-year deal. This is not age 28 KG. LaMelo is 21. LaMelo turns 22 shortly. So you're going to get age 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27. You're getting like the full LaMelo experience. He's already a possible all-star guy. And point guards really don't hit prime until like age 25, 26. Like you're getting LaMelo, you're getting Halliburton, you're getting the runway into their prime And you're going to get this huge value of a contract. You want the six years because you want the full youth hitting their prime. And with a salary cap going up, the more you can do now where there's a cap on the value, you want the cap on there because like the last year of this deal, six years out for these guys is capped at like 40, 42, 45 million. Well, that's what Halliburton's worth right now. And so he's going to be worth more and more and more as the cap goes up. He might be valued at like a $60 million player by then. And now you have this huge value contract where we get like Jason Tatum right now where he signed the max, but the max was capped. It was his rookie extension rule. And he's only making like 30 million this year. Well, clearly Jason Tatum's worth a lot more than 30 million. So you want these guys like, again, sticker shock. You see the 200 and you're like, really? LaMelo, Anthony Edwards, is he even that great yet? Like, these guys are all worth it. Every rookie max extension was a great deal and great for the team. Yeah. And I think it ties into the fact that that gives you that, that rookie extension, I think is critical to winning a title. Right. And yep. like, you have to win a title on these guys. Like, I mean, you don't have to right? like some, like certain teams, like they're not really gunning for titles. Like that's not really, I think that people say that's the goal for every NBA team, but it's not, we know it's not because a lot of it comes down to money and like, it goes into like the apron and stuff like, like who wants to pay tax? Like how, what, what kind of profit do these teams want to make? But that's not what the players are saying. That's like, what's ownership. That's a, that's a different call. Right. But when you have players on these types of contracts where, there's some value to them. It allows you to then like potentially overspend on those guys that are like role players. And you're like, I need this guy on my team. Like we don't win a title with a bad six, seven, eight in the rotation. Like it just doesn't happen. There's too many things now. Like we saw it. We've seen how like Denver, for example, there were certain players. It's like in one series they played next series, like, eh, not so good. Next series, like somebody else kind of stepped up because of the roles that everybody kind of had to play. You can't, the only ways to really do that are getting value free agents, making good trades, but then also like having the internal development to have a lot of these players. It's very hard to just literally buy a team like from scratch because you just run out of money. 
and the window is not long enough. So with this, it allows organizations to say like, well, all right, we know what money's tied up here. We know what's money's like tied up here. Let's try to move some pieces around so we can actually contend. Maybe it's a two-year window, but like that's a good opportunity for us. So it leads you to these deals for like guys like Beef Stew, Max Strews, Gabe Vincent, where you're saying like, whoa, like that seems like a lot of money. <laughs> but at the same time, these teams, some of them are very willing to spend into the tax and are willing to yeah. be hard capped potentially. But also they're t- kind of getting some value there because like their max guys are basically saying like, well, they can only get paid so much. So what do you think about these other guys? Like Miami yeah. kind of has lost a lot of their role players here in their kind of pursuit or so to speak of Dame. What do you think about these deals in terms of their value for the teams that sign them? Yeah. I think what Max Struess is a good example of what you just said, where Cleveland right now has Darius Garland on his rookie max extension. They've got Donovan Mitchell on his rookie max extension. They've got Evan Mobley pre-extension. They'll get his max extension eventually. So they've got like six more years, seven more years of Evan Mobley at value. And they've got, I think three of Garland and two of Donovan Mitchell. All of those are favorable contracts that Cleveland is getting a discount on because the rules literally won't let them pay more than what they can. So that lets you overpay Max Struess a little bit. He's overpaid, but I think that's the thing on some of these deals. So Max Struess was reported four for 64, ended up being 62 million. So that comes out to about 14 and a half million this year, up to 17 by the end. So 15, that's the amount that we said is your typical average NBA starter. So I don't think Max Struess is an average NBA starter. I don't know that I even think he's a starter. I think that he's at least probably clearly, he just played in the finals. Like He's not bad. He's not a bad player. He's not yeah. as bad as my finals MVP bet on him made me look, which <laughs> may Copa on that one. But like, he's clearly a, an NBA rotation player. He can hit the shots. He's not a he's not a great defender, but he's not like an awful defender. Hustler, though. Like, yeah, yeah, like so. So even if you say, okay, Struz in the current NBA on the current deals, he's at, clearly at least a ten million dollar player. So yeah. even if he's only ten, and again, that's going to go up. Even if it's just that, now you're at four for 40. Well, four for 62, you didn't overpay that much. Like that still is not a great deal that you want to have, especially I don't love for them that you're basically playing Struess and Levert and Okoro, who they're probably going to bring back. Suddenly you're paying like three guys, basically a max salary slot to all not be a max salary player. Like you're getting different versions of each one, a little bit of Struess here, a little bit of, of Levert there. So I don't love that. It's, it's not a contract I love for Struess, but it's not as awful as it felt initially. Uh, Gabe Vincent, three for 33. You're basically paying him 10 million a year. Same thing as we just said with Struess. Like Gabe Vincent is, again, to me, not sure that he is a starter. He doesn't have to be for the Lakers. He won't be for the Lakers. He fits pretty well with LeBron. He's the right kind of point guard for them. I think like he is clearly at least a $10 million player for them. So that deal makes sense. Isaiah Stewart, I just named him on my 30th team All-NBA. Like, he was a worst team All-NBA guy. So I don't love that deal, obviously, because I don't want to invest a lot in Isaiah Stewart. But again, he's an extension. So you're going to get the first year, still his rookie amount, still $5.3 million. Then you're at four for 64. That's what was reported. But again, a hidden detail. Four for 64, the last year of that deal is a team option. So either he doesn't get paid that amount because he's not worth it, or 
he just, or he's worth it. And now you have a deal that's five years out and he's 27 then, and then the deal ends up worth it. So I don't love these deals. They're the Stuart, Struess, Vincent. They're not my favorite deals. They traditionally, these are the sort of guys that would immediately pop on my worst contracts level. And I think I want to point these out that like the amount of money paying a guy 8 million, 10, 12 million just can't be a worse contract anymore because the cap is so high that as long as that dude can play a little bit, eat up some regular season minutes for you a little bit, like that's enough. And now at least he's a five, seven, eight million dollar player. And now you're just talking about a gap of a few million a year. And in the NBA, that's just not that much anymore. Yeah. So uh, a couple of names I want to talk about here. So let's get away from some of these, these middling guys, uh, I guess, <laughs> pun intended. Let's go to a middle 10 here. Love so <laughs> two of the guys that signed big deals, Chris Middleton signs a deal, gets reported as something like a three years, $105 million deal. Fred Van Vliet also signs a big deal. He gets the first, I think, max deal offered for the summer. He gets the three year, $120 million deal. So Huge. Well, what do you think about Chris Middleton, Fred Van Vliet, before I go into some of the details on that, who would you rather have on your team of those two? And and like when you see these $100 million deals for guys in their 30s past prime, how are you feeling about Chris or, or Fred? It's this is rough, right? Like, I think that there are moves that like these teams had to make. Uh, Van Vliet is like a, a it, they needed like an adult. They like literally needed an adult in the room because questionable whether Ime Odoka can be the adult in the room. So, like, you know, so, you know, they got Fred Van Vliet. You have a leader, you have a guy with like that playoff pedigree. Um, I like the move, like, I think overall, right. For them, I think it was a, a smart move to bring in like a guard that kind of show the way, like facilitate the offense also shoot, even though his shooting was not as good last year. Right. Um, so yeah. I do think that, I think there was, I, I respect the move and they also had some money to spend and they got him on a shorter deal with that non-guaranteed like type of stuff. So I like the move for Houston. If it doesn't work out, you're not really going to impact your other years with like your younger guys because they're on cheaper contracts, like whatever. The Middleton deal is interesting because I think the Middleton deal is one they like had to do it because I don't know what else they were going to do no. because like they had, and they had to keep like him and Giannis have a great relationship also drafted by the Bucks. Like they've spent his whole career there. It's like a loyalty thing. And we've seen him be an offensive engine on a championship team. Problem is like off an injury, he's getting older. You're running and like, they're kind of one of those teams. It's like they've won a title and I still am somehow in the, like, I don't know if I trust <laughs> yeah. them. Like, what, like I, I think they had to, there weren't a ton of great free agents out there this year, but like when you're looking at this now, it's kind of like, well, I wonder why like Milwaukee didn't try to get in on like Dame or somebody like that. Like what, like what's going on here? It, there's probably a better way to use the money. Yeah. So Middleton, so both of these deals end up looking a lot different than his first reporter. That's kind of the theme of this whole thing that we're doing here. So I agree. Middleton, really Middleton could have just demanded the max effectively because like you said, Milwaukee, like literally has no other options that, if he walks away, they don't have that salary slot back. They're already over the cap. They can't just go replace it. Same with Brooke Lopez. Like they, they had the team proverbially yeah. over a barrel. They just had to sign them. And all things considered, getting Middleton for at the time only 105 million for three years. I texted my my Bucks friend, like it's pretty good. Like you got a discount here. He pretty much could have just taken you to the cleaners and got anything. Well, it turns out 
105 is actually 93. It's three years, 93 million. The third year, that's a player option. Fred Van Vliet, three years, 120 million. Nope, actually not. Three years, 120 million is really two years for 83 million. So about 40 a year plus a team option on the end. So I want to talk about the difference in those options. Like what's the point of that? Well, the team option makes the deal team friendly because for Fred Van Vliet, they're probably not picking up that option in the, thir- in the third year. And if they are, they're at the 45 million at age 31, probably not a deal you want. He's a small guard. He's probably not gonna be worth that then. He might be. I think he's worth the deal he's getting right now. You're paying a small tax. I think it's, it's fine. Really, you, you want him to come in. You need, same when we watch Summer League. When, when a Summer League team has a point guard, like an adult to run the team and run a real offense, Houston hasn't played real basketball since James Harden left and and possibly before James Harden left, if we're being totally honest, (laughs) but like to have a guy, to have an adult on the court who can actually settle things down and run real offense changes everything for development for these guys. Like you're paying a tax on, and and frankly, he's going to get in the way. That means less shots for Jalen green. It means less time running point for Amen Thompson. Theoretically, that's not good. And like five years ago, I would have been like, oh, it's a terrible signing. What are they thinking? Well, you need to develop your guys and you need sometimes you need a Freddie to come in to help the rest develop, like to get Jabari Smith, a couple open looks to run some pick and roll with Shane and help him learn what that's like, rather than Kevin Porter Jr. Being the guy doing that all the time. And rather than like Jalen Green, just, you know, chucking up a shot or, or, or doing his own thing, taking it to the basket again, like Freddie will run the offense a little better. The team option, player option thing matters here because Houston either doesn't pick that option up or if they do, it's probably because they're trading him and then they can use that as like an, an outgoing salary to bring in the next piece after that. Whereas Middleton, his is a player option. That's a risk to the team because yeah. the deal he's getting is $34 million in year three. If Middleton is still good, then he does not pick up that option because he can get more money and he can get a longer deal. So he t- opts out. He only takes that option if he's injured again and not good again, and it's a bad deal for the team. Yeah. So, like, player option there can only hurt the team. Team option for Van Vliet can only help the team, really. Yeah, I think that's a definitely an interesting thing, especially for this Milwaukee team that is at a crossroads almost with Giannis, right? Like, that's the thing. Like, people are like, it's a non-zero chance that Giannis says like at some point, like I want out or I don't want to resign or like, or whatever. And like, if you have Middleton there on what might wind up being a bad contract, maybe that changes the analysis there. And he's like, yeah, like I want to get out of here. You know, we haven't won. This doesn't work. Like whatever, like we had the one year, but that's it. So I do think that these non-guaranteed contracts are interesting, right? So like the player op, like the, the team option, player options, the thing that like we've been, see- like we see, we understand the nuance of it. It's like, it's fairly straightforward. Now, like we're starting to see football contracts in the NFL or in the NBA rather. Yeah. And it's, it's weird because normally we're used to seeing like baseball, everybody gets paid. NBA, pretty much everybody gets paid. Like with the number you sign for is what you're going to get. Now we're starting to see that not really be a thing with a variety of different contracts, whether it's like the first year is fully guaranteed, second, third, fourth year are not guaranteed. Like 
What do you think about some of those deals? Do you think it's a good thing for the NBA? Do you think it's a bad thing? Like it seems very owner friendly, that's for sure. But what do you think about these te- these deals, at least from a roster building perspective? It has yeah. to be, it, it's got to give, I think it would give superstars a little bit more like comfort than like if you, if teams sign guys to like, well, like whatever, like if they're not on the roster next year, they're not on the roster. Yeah. To, to me, again, I'm always like players get paid. Like I want you to get your money. I'm always going to think of this as a GM. I'm always going to think from that perspective. I'm not a player. I'm not a GM either, but I can more easily identify as a GM. So I'm yeah. always thinking about team building and how do we get the right team? And so like, so let's talk about some of the Houston contracts here to kind of flesh this out. So we did the Van Vliet one instead of three years, it's really two years. It's, it's buying a two-year window. You talked before about you got to spend, you got to get to the minimum anyways. So Houston had a ton of money available. Another thing is that because the cap is going up so much, there aren't as many really bad contracts for teams like Houston to have to eat. So teams are no longer like, oh my gosh, you got to get this guy off our hands. Here's all of our picks to do it. It's not, there aren't as many bad, bad deals to take on anymore. So Houston got to spend somewhere. So they spend it on Freddie. Well, here's a couple of guys, the the, the non-guarantee stuff. Jock Landale, who uh, our, our guy took, Dan Rayton's spot in the playoffs at center for Phoenix. So he goes Savage. to Houston. I think if we're being totally fair, it's probably more of a more moves the needle for Phoenix that he's not there anymore than it does for Houston. Yeah. I think it's probably a nice backup to Shane Yoon, kind of similar style player. So he gets a four-year $32 million deal. Nope. It's a one-year $8 million deal and another year for eight, another year for eight, another year for eight. The entire deal is fully non-guaranteed. Bizarre. So yeah. Why is that good or bad? I, I think it's a little bit of both. I don't think Jock Landale's worth $8 million this year. I don't think he should be getting $8 million. That's more than he should make. But by getting by agreeing to the non-guarantee part, that's team-friendly for Houston. They're not on hook for all of it. And they can use this in a trade now because yeah. they can trade away an $8 million salary slot to another team where the other team's like, cool, we don't want him. We just needed some salary in the deal. That's the rules. We have to take some salary back. Jock Landale, goodbye. We're not guaranteeing you your salary is gone. It's like a magical, invisible salary slot that they can include that way. I think that's the fascinating part about it, right? Like he's included, he's, you can include him in trades. And then also I think it's great because we've seen Landale, like using him as for this uh, this specific example, we've seen him be useful for a playoff team, like specifically, right? That's interesting now where a team could say like, Hey, like we want him right now like we think it's worth eight million dollars this year to have him at the deadline or like whatever it is like another four million because we can just be like see you next year like we don't need to pay you like i'm we're not worried about the tax this year we're worried about the tax next year we'll pay it now this team is good we're healthy that might be like the piece that we need yeah exactly and like houston another one of those jeff green another adult in the room did not bring (laughs) jeff green in to like take a lot of minutes they brought jeff green to just be a dude like Jeff Green's going to teach Tarees and all the stuff that Jeff yep. Green knows how to do as this kind of like, I play the three, the four, the five, a little defense, kind of jackknife offense. For every team. <laughs> yeah, and like, he's like, here's what it'll be like if you play on the 27 teams I've played for before. Like yeah. <laughs> Jeff is there to do that. But so he got reported as a two-year, $16 million deal. Again, that's not what he's going to get. It actually ended up going higher. There's some like weird incentives included there. So it really ends up being close to like a two-year 19-plus deal, but team option in the second year. They're not going to pay the team option. They're not picking them up for that. Or if they are, 
They're doing it because they're including a salary in a trade. Again, gives the team some options. Yeah. It's really, it's a one-year deal for just under $10 million. Well, so is that good or bad for Jeff Green? I don't know. Jeff Green's 37. Is he worth $10 million? No, like, he's not a $10 million player. Not for Denver, the title team. Definitely not for Houston, who is not doing anything right now. Like he is not worth $10 million for them. He gets his money. Honestly, I think that Jeff Green, that's like his third or fourth most he's ever made in a year before at age 37. So it's that championship glow. He comes in, he gets the money. He takes on the extra amount because it makes him look good in the market. It makes him look good to his fans. You agree to that $16 million quote unquote deal. It's kind of a fake number. The fourth guy for Houston, of course, Dylan Brooks. So we won't do much Dylan Brooks right now. Unfortunately, there's not much hidden about the Dylan Brooks contract. Dylan Brooks contract is just Dylan Brooks getting paid. There's no options. There's no hidden money there. It's four years for 80 as it was reported. Turns out that was low. A very rare case where the number reported was lower than the real thing. Houston ended up having a little extra money after their business and just chunked it onto Dylan Brooks' salary. So the good part about his is they did declining, meaning that he makes more this year than he will each year after that. It goes down. Well, that's value because right now is the worst his contract will ever be for them. And it's bad. It's a very bad deal, four for 86. But each year it gets progressively less bad because the salary goes down while the salary cap goes up. So rather than being a cost of, you know, like 8% of the cap, it starts to go down, down, down from there. Sorry, I, I think 8% is even too high. I'm doing the math on the fly. But Dylan Brooks, not a lot of hidden details, but at least it does decline that way. So that's a spot where, where the Houston had a lot of deals where they paid big, big dollars. Van Vliet, 120. Brooks, 80. Landale, 32. Green, 16. All of those deals, other than Brooks, are nowhere near the amount that they actually said to pay them. So that's... That's where Houston gets away with like all these players get to win the press conference. They get their money announcement and the team gets some options and some flexibility. They can use Van Vliet, Landale Green and trades. They can use them down the line or they can keep them if they want. That might be an option, but it gives the team some options and it gets Fred $83 million for two years where like, no, he did not get the 120, but he got 83 million. It's pretty good. He came out just fine on this deal. It's since it's in Texas, you know, the no state yeah. income tax. So it's a little bit That's extra true. money. So it, yeah. it does, it, it actually does create like a really interesting scenario for these players to be like, look, uh, like, sure. Like, I guess I'll sign up for this because worst case scenario, like all these players, I think most players are just like, yeah, like I'm going to be fucking awesome. Like, it, like they want to <laughs> bet on themselves, right? Like we've seen this like over and over, like, unless somebody's got like an injury, they're like, yeah, like I can play great. Like I can be worth this contract. And then like, that's what the mentality is. You get these guys basically in a contract year every year. It's kind of like, it's, a, it's kind of awesome for these teams in a way to be able to have that flexibility. But the other team that I think did pretty good in free agency, right? But like, I think Houston did a decent job. The Lakers did, I think a great job, right? Like they, outside of, I guess really last off season, right? Like we've seen Palinka do like a pretty good job in terms of like what he's been able to restructure this team as and like reconstitute the team. They've got a ton of, they, they brought in some new guys. They kept some of their guys. They, that they signed what I, the Reeves contract. I think we have to start with the Reeves oh contract. Gosh, the Reeves yeah. contract, I think is the best contract of the off season. Yes. hundred um, percent. 
like the guy's awesome. Uh, and I mean, it, the deal is great. It's what four years, 56 million. I think the thing that's interesting and people are like, well, how did they get them for this deal? How did we get him on this deal? It's like, it's, it seems relatively cheap. He could literally could not have really made any more money. Like there was no real way, like there was no like super functional way to make more money than that. I think he could have qualified for like the arenas thing where it's like you could have a team could have offered him like a two year thing. And then all of a sudden it balloons to like $25 million a year. But like, I don't think anybody was going to do that. Like nobody was like looking at this right now saying like, yeah, like we're going to pay Austin Reeves like $30 million in two years from now. Um, So So the Lakers kind of knew that, I guess. Let let me, let me correct you a little bit here. So, so like the Spurs (laughs) were a team that was talked about here. So I had a tweet of like, come on Spurs offer Reeves the max, like the most that a team could have offered him. I think a team could have given him something like four for 96 or four for hundred, somewhere in that range. And for the Spurs or whoever that would have been, that's a totally normal contract. They don't get arenas ruled on it. They just have like a 25 million per deal if they get it. But because the problem here is Austin Reeves was a restricted free agent. So that means that the Lakers then have a seven day window to match. And the timing of the calendar problem is, is massive here because they literally can't offer the deal until July 6th or whatever, when the moratorium starts, like not even July one. So now the, all your cap gets tied up until July 13th. Cause the Lakers are like, screw is, you yeah. Spurs. We're definitely going to match the deal. We want to keep Reeves around. We can't replace him. But thanks for screwing up our business. You just made us pay double. So as a token of our appreciation, we will wait till literally the last second on July 13th and yeah. then match. And guess what? Free agency is over. Nobody is left to take you your money anymore that you couldn't offer to anyone else. And that hundred million that you thought you had tied up to Reeves is nobody. And now what are you going to do with that dollar? So yeah. and you got to get up to the floor. You have to get to the floor. Exactly. So it's like it's even worse now for that. Right. So like Austin Reeves actually gets screwed on this because of the rules. Now, this is a thing the CBA did address. The rules change so that from now on, I think starting next year, it's a 24-hour wait period. It's not a one yeah. week anymore. So like now maybe crazy, that changes. Yeah. Maybe Austin Reeves gets paid next year. In this case, I believe it was a four for 52. Even that ends up not being, that was the max the Lakers could offer legally. Yeah. Like that's the rule said, that's the most they could give him. They gave him a player option. If he's anywhere near as good as he looks so far, He's not picking up that option. He's worth way more than what he's getting. He'll make 12 million this year. He would make 15 million on the option. Again, 15, that's an average starter. Reeves was an average starter from all-star break on and in the playoffs. He was at least an average starter by the numbers. I think he was basically putting up like prime Gordon Hayward stats, like the the pick and rolls and the shooting. He shot 44% on threes, all-star break forward, and then had more volume in the playoffs, still shot 44% on threes. Like the dude can hit threes. He can run the offense. He's a decent defender. He's not going to pick up that option, but they get him now age 25, 26, 27, right in his prime green player, three years, $39 million. That is an unbelievable steal of a deal that literally nobody could offer him more because restricted rules, restricted teams from allowing to do that. Agents are are threatening being like, if you, if you do this and you screw up the team building, None of my guys are coming to you after this. So it's yeah. it's all this behind the scenes stuff that leaves Austin Reeves. Like we're going to come back to him on the next podcast. He immediately moves into the top 10 contracts in the NBA. He's a yeah. ginormous value. I, I would tell you this, Jalen Brown's going to sign a big deal coming up. He's going to probably sign the Supermax or something close to it. Straight up, 
I'd rather have Austin Reeves than Jalen Brown. Not as a player, but the money comes with it. And if I get three years for 39 on Austin Reeves or five for 260 or whatever it is with Jalen Brown, like you, that's not nothing. You get to use all the extra money for other stuff on your team. Uh, Like like LeBron. Like, yeah, yeah. Like the other guys on your team. So in this case for the Lakers, you mentioned some of the other guys They they paid Rihachimura, keep him around. That's the one deal I didn't really like. I'm just not a big Hachimura fan. I don't feel like he fits the team. Like, yeah, like LeBron, LeBron has a type. Of, of how he builds his team of the guys he wants to play with. And his type happens to be a tweener forward. So you get Hachi back and you get Torian Prince who I don't, I just, I don't like that type of player. This like Kyle Kuzma, the scoring forward type. Yeah. They don't, it's, they're a weird fit. Like it's a it, weird it, combo. It's a weird yeah. fit. And it, to me, it's like a, an overvalued overpaid, like you're contributing vaguely efficient points and not a lot else, not a lot of defense usually. I don't know. And I don't know how it fits this roster with LeBron and Davis. And the other thing is that like D'Angelo Russell, not a player I like, been on my Timberwolves, don't like him, been on my Warriors, don't like him. We can decide which one of those is actually the my team there. <laughs> now he's on the Lakers. The thing is, that sort of player fits what, what LeBron likes to play with, like yeah. the guy that can hit the shots. And he just, he had his best shooting season, two years, 36 million for D'Lo, second year is a player option. He probably, if he plays well, opts out of that and tries to get more money. Or if not, it's it's still a fine contract. I wouldn't really want to pay him myself because I don't like him. I don't want him on my team. But like, I actually have this as a positive value deal for the Lakers where like he, he rated out kind of similar to like a Mike Conley this year, which that's, that's who they got traded for each other. Like they were slightly above average point guards. That's valuable on the Lakers. Here's what I think about the Lakers overall. I, I hated these moves early on because I was like, we just watched all these guys suck in the playoffs. Why do they want to bring them all back? Like Hachimura, he was pretty good for them. D'Lo, not fine, good in the yeah. playoffs. Uh, Gabe Vincent, not good down the stretch for the Heat. But like coming in for $10 million, to me, I think of D'Lo, Gabe Vincent as like, that's your combo point guard. And you're yeah. paying them all together, like $30 million a year, basically. D'Lo's your regular season point guard. Gabe Vincent's your your postseason point guard. Exactly. And Vincent like, kind of pairs well with LeBron. Like Vincent fits that absolutely. like archetype that like plays with LeBron. It's like kind of like doesn't need to be like the biggest dude, but it needs to be yep. like a hustler, can hit a three. Like that's that's Depend what you hard. want. You don't need a real point guard with LeBron, which is no, you don't want like, a real point guard you, with LeBron. But, <laughs> yeah, but you do need one for the regular season just because yep. like you kind of need an innings eater. Yeah, and you, and you need somebody for the night that LeBron isn't feeling there, just took the night off, or or Anthony Davis picked up a hangnail in the first quarter or whatever. So like, you need D'Lo to just score some points and do some stuff, run the offense for a while. So like, I, I think it makes sense for that. I think to me, that's what I kind of view Hachimura and Prince as. To yeah. me, my takeaway from the Lakers is, I hated the moves at first. Looking back, I think actually the contracts they got, obviously Reeves, I love. The rest yeah. are, are pretty good. I, I think Hachimura is a little over. But overall, Vincent's a pretty nice deal. I did not think that early on these. I slandered all the moves. Big picture, I think the Lakers improved their regular season a bunch. I think that they got a lot of good regular season innings eaters. I don't know that it moved the needle for the playoffs. Like, other than Reeves, Reeves is great. Reeves is great, yeah. I don't know that, like, they brought in Cam Reddish, Jackson Hayes. I like that. Those are cheap guys. They're talented. The Lakers have done well. They brought in Malik Monk as a good example bring these like talented lottery guys who busted other places, give them the second chance, play with LeBron. Let's see how that goes pretty well. Right. Usually it, it turns out. Work. Yeah. So like, I like the guys they brought in. 
the Lakers tend to give all these guys player options, which is not a Laker friendly thing. Like it's just like lazy GMing to me because it like Jackson Hayes, Cam Reddish, if those guys are good, you want them to be good on a deal that you pay them for like three years. So now you get them good for cheap. And like if Cam Reddish is even remotely good on a Lakers game where he knows that the whole world is watching, he just opts out of his deal and then leaves and gets more money elsewhere. Yeah. And now like you developed him for the year and you don't get to reap the rewards of it. And he leaves. So like, yeah, I don't love that here. I just, I'm not convinced that really any of this moves the needle in the playoffs at all. Like, no, I, I still th- feel like it's, it's LeBron, it's Davis, it's Reeves. And I don't know any of the rest of these guys. Uh, it's going to be the, what it was last year, which is like, Who's hot tonight? Who hit the shot? Oh, Lonnie Walker, it's your night. Shoot four threes in the fourth quarter. Screw Brandon and his bet on the game. Just you, who's done nothing all year long, changing the entire playoffs with fourth. Like, that's it. They're just hoping they get the hot hand each game. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the thing with the Lakers is if you look at the contracts, though, they do have a lot of movable numbers, right? Yeah. Like, that's really, I guess, maybe what they're trying to do because they, they sure. like any LeBron team, like just seems to be able to reconstruct <laughs> the entire fucking team at the deadline if they need to. Um, and they do still have, I think they have at least one pick they can still trade now, which is, I think important so like they're not totally capped out but i do think at least they have some pieces i think where you could do something with what they have but i agree like i i think they're gonna be good for the regular season but the thing with this team and we've we've been saying this over and over and over again at the end of the day this team's success in the playoffs it just comes down to like is anthony davis gonna be a bitch or not like that's really like that's really what it is because it's like if he's if he's playing well like consistently they're great like that's and because you know like lebron pretty much shows up like lebron's gonna put up his numbers like even if he's not shooting well he's gonna distribute he's gonna rebound like he's gonna do what he's gotta do anthony davis it's like if the shot's not falling it's like all of a sudden it becomes like, oh, like who is this guy? Like what's going on here? That that's what these Lakers teams tend to be. So I mean, we'll we'll just kind of have to see how that how that shakes out if they're able to add anything more stable to a playoff rotation for them. Um, another team that is very top heavy in terms of their talent, right? Is yeah. the Phoenix Suns. So obviously they made waves with the Bradley Beal move. Uh, that was an interesting trade, and I think different than a lot of these other trades, right? Because Beal had that no trade clause, full no trade clause. I literally don't think that another player is going to get a full no trade clause unless they're like LeBron. That's about it. Like, and even then, like you're just not going to trade LeBron. <laughs> but like Bradley Beal, it's it's crazy. Like he could literally dictate exactly where he wanted. But now it's put Phoenix in a position where they've kind of had to sign guys on like these really dinky contracts. Who's your favorite of their minimum contracts that they got here? <laughs> uh, I mean, I feel like Eric Gordon has to be the guy that you mentioned at yeah. first. He, he got a little more than the minimum. Actually, like the, so interesting, almost all the Suns guys they brought in got similar to what the Lakers did. They got the player option. In order to give them the player option, then the Suns had to pay a little more on the front end of the deal. Like instead of like $2 million, like $2.5 million, something like that. For the Suns, that's not a small thing. Their four dudes are $200 million just on them alone. Like they're only even allowed to sign these minimum guys because you literally have to be able to fill your roster out. Like the rules state you're allowed to sign minimum player contracts. So that's what they've done here. Matt Ishbia actually paid effectively like $10 million extra to bring in Eric Gordon, Josh Okoge, Keita Bates-Diop, Yuta Watanabe, Damian Lee, Drew Eubanks. Like all of these guys 
He paid an extra $10 million to give them a second year player option rather than just a one year minimum because maybe that goes well and you stick around. And now the Suns want to keep you around. Maybe you opt out, but now the Suns have rights to pay you and keep you uh, like bird rights sort of thing, rather than just you being unrestricted and walking to somewhere else where they can't match it. Like this is giving them some flexibility. They have to do it. Like they don't have, they got no draft picks left. They, they, you, in the new rules, you can't do buyouts anymore. If you're over the second apron, like the Suns are, this is it. So they got, yeah. Yeah. This is the roster. So I I like Eric Gordon. I, I, I like him, but I don't like in a weird way. I sort of feel like Eric Gordon is a worse version of Bradley Beal, who is a worse version of Devin Booker, who is a smaller, maybe worse. I'm not sure anymore. Version of Kevin Durant. Like it's, it's all it's just like talent. Cooper's hoop, right? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. all redundant and guys on the ball. I think Gordon can adapt a little bit. Like, I think he can defend. He was a good defender earlier in his career. I think, you know, like, I think he's the fifth guy right now. Like, if you put the four stars, if you had a closing lineup right now, he might yeah. be it. I think it should be Josh Okoge, who is pretty good for them, who is a good defender. If he can hit a shot a little bit, I, I liked him. Kata Bates Diop is the other one I caught my eye. Like, he, he posted really good numbers this season, like the advanced metrics on him, small sample, but he looked good. He's a guy I like coming out of the draft. He's bounced around a little bit. He kind of fits, I think, what this team needs as just like a combo forward who will defend, who passes pretty well. To me, those are the guys, they clearly prioritize shooting, like everyone that they brought in. Yeah, like Watanabe uh, is a freak. Like, yeah. Unreal shooter. Unreal Yeah, shooter. like they, they know they need the shooting. They know they need the threes because the guys they have in the roster are not a lot yeah. of three-point shooters. So like, Everyone, if you got signed by Phoenix, if you're listening, hello, because Kevin Durant told you to listen. He's our number one fan. If you're <laughs> listening as a Suns dude that just got signed, you know why you're here. You got signed to come in, defend, be the fifth man in the court, and shoot an open three. Like, that's it. Everyone yeah. we just said, that's your job. If you're that's open it. and behind the arc or at a layup, shoot the ball. Otherwise, pass it to somebody better than you and go back and play defense. That's it. Yeah, and like, I think so- they did fine. I think they got guys that do that. Yeah, it's a very narrow path for Phoenix, just based on what they have already. So it's definitely it's definitely gonna be an interesting season for the Phoenix Suns. I mean, they should be they they're probably gonna be good still, like especially in the regular season. <laughs> but it's just like it's bizarre. Um, some of the other things that changed right over this season were the extensions, and it's allowed certain guys to get paid. I touched on one of them earlier when I mentioned Demontis Sabonis, but. Like that, I think that was a good deal for the Kings. Like they needed to do it. They traded for this guy. Like that was a franchise altering move to trade Tyrese Halliburton for DeMontis Sabonis. You have to lock these guys in. Another guy that got traded in a similar way in like a franchise defining move, right, is DeJounte Murray. And he just got extended. Let What do you think about these extensions? How does this impact these teams kind of moving forward? So the extension rules changed a little bit. And I thought that's why some of these guys are fascinating. So I believe it used to be that you could only give on extension, whatever you last made on your expiring deal or whatever is the last year of your deal. So in DeJounte's case, 18.2 million is what he'll make this year. And this is why Jalen Brown is going to get the supermax because they didn't have the extension rules changed in time. You could only give him, I think, 120%. So a 20% raise from your last amount was where you'd start the new deal. Well, now it's 140%. So you can give like a serious boost onto the end of the amount, 
And then an extension might be worth it where like in Jalen Brown's case or in DeJounte's case at 18 million, he was on this great bargain deal. That's great. Except the problem is if 18 is too low to extend, because again, you can only, you can only start at that level and then you can only give X amount of raise each year. That's the yeah. rules. You can only offer so much. And if DeJounte knows I'm worth more than that. And by the way, you have to pay me it because you traded every pick you have to get me. Then he can't, he's not going to take that deal because he knows he's worth more than that. Now the problem is you wait out the 18.2 million. Now he's unrestricted and now he might just leave and you trade all your picks and all your stuff to get him. Now he's just gone. So yeah. instead he takes a deal that again, a sticker shock is getting reported. It's like, oh, he's getting like 120 million. Yeah, a ton of money. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of money to come in. I, I, I don't feel like the DeJounte fit has gone great for Atlanta. Like I, no. I don't think it, I, to me, the deal, him taking this, even though it felt like a lot of money, like he, he was an all-star last year. I, I kind of think he's a one-time all-star. I'm not sure we're going to get there again with him. I don't feel like him and Trey play well together, which was the whole point of the deal. But like, to me, this was a concession by all sides that maybe this didn't work out quite as well as we hoped that it would, but you're still valuable. You're still like clearly at least an average point guard starter and probably above average. We still got to pay you, but we're not paying you 40 million. We're not, you thought you could get off your deal a year from now and go get a big max deal somewhere. This is you saying, "Mm, I'm not sure I'm getting that deal. I'm going to take what I can get right now. I'm still getting plenty of money. He's basically on a five-year 132 million now. But to me, it's a concession by him to take less than what he might have hoped for. It's a concession by the team to say, okay, you haven't really been that great yet for us. We haven't been good. We barely even made it into the playoffs, but we're going to concede. We're going to pay you what you're valued. Sabonis, like you said, a thing with him is with him and with Jordan Clarkson, both got a similar thing where their teams had cap room. And so at the new rules, you can, on an extension, pay more. You can tack money onto what was the final year of the deal. And then that can kind of change how the extension looks. So like Sabonis was only supposed to make like 22 million this year. Now he'll make 31 million. And because of that, yeah, it's, it's like, it's a way to use your cap to pay a guy the money that he wants, give him the deal, but not impact your salary cap. Like they're paying they paid him out on money that's gone now. It's on last year's salary cap. It did exactly. not hurt the team this year. And like Jordan Clarkson was making 14 this year. He was supposed to. He now will make 23 million, which is outrageous. Jordan Clarkson is not worth 23 million, no. but Utah's got to spend money somewhere. They're going to spend it on him this year. He's not worth it. But after this year, because they paid him now 23 million, the next two years, he's back down to fourteen and fourteen, and it makes him and it makes him a much more valuable trade. So more valuable too, because then teams are like, oh, like, well, we can absorb exactly. him into the cap. This even if they traded for a midseason, it's like, well, we can deal with that. Like, we can we'll worry about paying the tax. Like, we think right. we're good right now. Um, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, now he's only fourteen, and we know he's a bucket. Like that's what Jordan Clarkson yeah. is. He's a bucket getter. So it's like it's created a lot of different. There's a lot of nuance in the cap. And I think that like some of these guys like Jordan Clarkson would not be surprised to see him traded at the deadline to like a contender. Um, Granted, like Utah, I guess, could be a contender, but like probably not. No, they can't. Probably not. Let's be honest with ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. So it's it's interesting. And then like the other thing that's kind of changed here as well is you have second round picks 
right? And now like yeah. we've been seeing a lot of trades like, oh, so-and-so got traded for like 17 second-round picks. <laughs> well, those second-round picks have always been like relatively valuable, but the contracts were always a little wonky like because guys could hit free agency fast, like especially yeah. if somebody was good. Yeah, now, like Jalen Brunson, who you you as a fan have been able to benefit from. Jalen exactly. Brunson, is, up until this year, second-round picks could only sign for three years at most, and mostly they signed for only two years because you had to use like part of some of your exceptions to dip into the third year. You benefited that from, from that because Jalen Brunson, they yeah. didn't sign him long enough. They didn't have the extra year on. He should have been making like $2 million for Dallas this year still. Literally. Yeah. And instead, the contract expired a year earlier. And then he was an unrestricted free agent where now you can effectively treat your second round pick like a first round pick and give him a full four year deal and still have restricted rights at the end of the deal. So now you get like, so Leonard Miller guy for, for my Timberwolves <laughs> signs effectively a four year, $8 million deal team option on the end. Some of these deals like Andre Jackson to the bucks, Jordan Walsh uh, to the Celtics. These guys are looking really good. Like, yeah. I bring up those three names because they were all three that I had like top 15 on my draft board. So of course I like them, but I think they looked really good in summer. Walsh is flashing good offense for Boston. Andre Jackson, like he was the star on the national championship team. I know. So I, I think he can make a difference for Milwaukee. I, I honestly, he might even like run point a little bit for them. They don't have a backup point guard right now. Leonard Miller looks like, I think like a lottery pick. He's been playing really well for Minnesota. He probably is the long-term four once they trade cat or go bear eventually. <laughs> right, unfortunately, right. Uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, so you're getting now, I think what we're going to see is like the nuggets. So the nuggets traded and picked up two extra high second round picks. Now I don't love the guys they took Jalen Pickett, Hunter Tyson. I would have taken Andre Jackson, Jordan Walsh, the guys that I like, Yeah. but Denver signed both of those dudes to four year deals. And you're basically getting them like under a million this year and as high as like 2.4 million at the end. Well, remember that year where they're 2.4 million, the salary cap is going to be almost $200 million that year. It's nothing. It's yeah. 1% of the cap. And so like if Hunter Tyson sucks, who cares? Denver just cuts him, gets the roster spot back and eats the one or $2 million each year. Nobody cares. Doesn't impact their business at all. No. But what if, you're Herb Jones two years ago, second what round pick in the draft. What if you're Jokic? Like, <laughs> yeah, what if you're Jokic? And Jokic signs a four-year, $8 million deal. And like, yeah, you're probably like, you're fine as a rookie. You're kind of decent as a sophomore. Suddenly you're Jokic in year three and four, making like $2 million a year, which is absurd. But like, like Herb Jones, Austin Reeves, Jose Alvarado, guys who are undrafted or second round picks, you can get this now four-year deal. Some of these dudes... Like if I'm right, if Leonard Miller is actually a lottery level talent, that is a game changing piece for the Timberwolves to have a four year free player, basically like a basically minimum free. value yeah, player free. that as that team, as, as like Rudy and cat are being paid 110 million combined to have a $1 million Leonard Miller who's maybe starter caliber by year three or something yeah. is a massive, massive I, value for a team. And I think the thing that's interesting about this is it changes a little bit of the value, in my opinion, of a first round pick, especially a late first round pick. Yeah. So like when we're talking about this Dame trade, right? And Miami's like, well, we can offer three unprotected first round picks the way I think that's what their number is now. Like that's what they can yeah. offer like at the, at the high end, right? If you project Miami to be bad, 
or like to be good. Like you know, Miami's always projected to be good, right? Like these are like never lottery picks. They always seem to be good picks, right? If they're at the end of the first round, the edge at least then was like, well, we can sign the guy to a four-year deal. Now it's like, these are even less valuable if the team is going to be good because like, there's just less of a difference between that and a second round pick at this point. Like, yeah, like you're getting to get your guy a little bit earlier, but I have a feeling, and I think like you, you're a draft, like kind of sort like realistically, but towards the end of the draft, like teams are looking at the same player, but like, not really. Like, I think at a certain point, the boards just start deviating dramatically where it's like, this is our guy. We like this guy. And when you're in the second round, you're just like, I think everybody's stuff is like all over the place. Like somebody that you could have ranked like 30th, another team has ranked 50th just because at that point you're looking for different things. Maybe at that point you're drafting for fit as opposed to, you know, for, as opposed to just talent. Um, I think that second round picks now and the fact that second round picks don't have any ties really are going to be like even more valuable because it's just like well, you could trade five second round picks like like there's i think oklahoma city has what 16 or 17 second round picks over the next like six years so like those are all guys they can just keep throwing darts at or like another team that doesn't have a lot of first round picks might say like hey like let's stockpile a bunch of second rounders so we can try to like if we hit on one we're going to be in a really good spot yeah, and when we've seen like Boston as a team that has made a bunch of really minor trades, like I mentioned Jordan Walsh for Boston, I believe the Celtics had the 25th pick in the draft that came over as part of the Marcus Smart Porzingis deal. Like they upgraded from 35 to 25. Remember how the Celtics yes. got quote unquote two first round picks? Well, they really didn't. They really upgraded from 35 to 25. That was one of the first rounders they got. Well, what they did is they traded back down from 25 I think to like 33 and then to 38 or somewhere in that range. And they, along the way, they traded back down, got the guy, Jordan Walsh, that they supposedly won in the first round. Would have been nice if you took him. I had the plus 500 to Jordan I Walsh know. going first round. <laughs> we would rather have that. But along the way, Boston trades down, gets the guy they want, gets him at a cheaper deal still for four years. And they picked up four second round picks in those trade downs. And now maybe that's the next Jordan Walsh down the line or in Boston's case, now that second round picks are a little more valuable. Now you've got that as ammo. Now you can say, okay, Hey, we need to get off of whoever's salary. We got to get off of Porzingis. It's year three of the deal. He's gotten sucks. injured again. Yeah. He sucks again. We got to get rid of him. Well, now we will throw in four second round picks to get rid of them. And it used to be as recently as like a year or two ago. I was just like, who cares? Nobody cares where your second round picks. It's nothing. But I would say too now, like, you know, we got to think of first round picks as not just all first round picks. Like, is it lottery protected? Is it a good team? Is this going to be like the number five pick or a number 10 or number 20 or 25? I think a a second round pick, especially from a bad team, is is effectively the same as the number 20 or 25 pick. Like, it's a late first, effectively, especially with the contracts now. So, like, and like two second round picks is basically like a fringe lottery pick. Like that's kind of like the, the sort of trade you might be able to make now. So Boston just picking up four second round picks, you know, throughout the draft and the process is not nothing. It's like they basically just added a couple late first round picks to the arsenal. And like we drool over everything every time Presti does that for OKC. And, but nobody notices because of second rounders. And like on the flip side, you get teams you know, now we're seeing, like, I think Phoenix uh, on their Beal deal. He sent uh, every second like, round pick. Gave everything. All the second rounders are gone. 
And it's like, yeah, who cares? Second rounders, who cares? Number 50, like Phoenix will be so good. It'll be so late in the draft. Yeah, probably. We don't know. You never know with this. It's a lot of years, but like those are assets now. Those are chips that you can trade for other stuff or that you yeah. can use to get off of salary or that you can get your Leonard Miller, your Jordan Walsh, or you can trade Pickett, every, it is. there's no like thing with the first round picks where it's like, you can't trade like Correct. everyone. Like you can trade yeah, no literally step really. you, can, you can give them all away. Like Oklahoma city, if they want to go trade for like Giannis, if Giannis is available, Oklahoma city wants to go get him, which by the way, OKC is the best team set up to make the big superstar trade right now. Yeah. They literally could, OKC could offer like three of their first round picks, but they can offer all the other first round picks they have, which is like eight or 10 or something. And they can offer literally every one of the second round picks. They, it's crazy. They could, they could be like Milwaukee. Hey, you listening? We're going to give you literally nine first round picks and 17 second round picks. You literally build the new team. Like yeah. one of these should hit. You can build multiple teams. Yeah. Like <laughs> you can build two teams to play against each other. It's yeah. an expansion draft. So, right. it, and, it, and I, then I'll be sitting at home watching while Giannis wins a title in Oklahoma City. That, that's all that really that's, matters. That's exactly but you'll have a lot of players, though. Exactly. So, I think that there's been like just a lot of nuance with these contracts. There's been so many different moving parts, and it's really kind of led us to you like you miss some of the things that are going on or like what exactly these things mean. I know like we're kind of running out of time on this one, but I did want to touch on one individual contract. Cause I cracked up when I saw it and it's the <laughs> B-ball Paul contract. Yeah, I knew it. That little rider there where there is non-guaranteed years two and three, unless the team wins the first series in the playoffs makes the conference semifinals. I laughed. I swear. I've never laughed at a contract so hard. I was like, <laughs> this is literally just a troll job. hundred it, percent. It's <laughs> a totally, it's Danny Ainge putting up two middle fingers at Philadelphia, old grudges, die hard. And he's it, look, I, to me, it's not just that it's this poison pill that like Utah is acknowledging. We're probably not going to make the playoffs. You probably are. So on our team, this is a non-guaranteed deal like the, the Jock Landale one that we yes. said, that's what it would be on Utah. On Philly, on your team, you got to commit to paying him. And in Philly, like Harden and Tobias and Maxi are all expiring. Like it's basically Embiid and not much else after this year. So exactly. having to actually agree to pay Paul Reed $8 million a couple more years, that's meaningful. Like who's they good, have a chance to like... kind of reset otherwise. To me though, the real devious thing is not being like, if you make the finals, or even the conference finals. Yes. It's like, yeah. well, it's Philly. We know they don't really make the conference finals. They haven't done it in all the years. <laughs> we better just do just the conference finals. All you gotta do is win one series, which like, they will that, do. They're they're that's like the chef's kiss to me. They on, just on always the sweep. Job. They sweep first round. They crush first round. Like uh, whoever they play. Good. Like and when that, they play yeah, like a team. Embiid is still healthy then. <laughs> yeah, he's still healthy. So I'm sure my buddy Vinny is gonna love this little conversation at the end of this. So. <laughs> sorry, sorry for that, but. We, we didn't say any bad things about Joel Embiid today. So that's the best that we can do here. Potential future Nick. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, this was, this was a good one with all the contract talk. Um, we are going to be doing a couple more like episodes of different contract things, including best contracts, worst contracts. Um, and like what we think about franchises moving forward, uh, wanted to be able to get this out to you guys. So we will leave it at that. We will save some recommendations for the very end. And then we will go from there, but thanks for coming on, Brandon. Thanks for listening. Tune into the next episode of cash that.